Roto version 4. April 2008. Roto hath Wallace. The imposing Matt Wallace comes on the show to discuss life, death, and traumatic turtle moments. Everything goes full circle. Hello, this is Evo Terra, the author of Podcasting for Dumbers and the uh, Dumbers. <laughs> Fuck, I can't even do it on my own. <laughs> Take two. Yeah. All right. Hi, this is Evo Terra, author of Podcasting for Dummies and founder of Podiobooks.com. T had nothing to do with either of those two things. And I am an outcast. Your heroes return after a long battle. They have abandoned their chase way, and Bo Roto is no longer safe for work. Expect to build content and material. Let's face it, some jokes don't work unless you use the word fuck. It's a scientific fact. <clears throat> <clears throat> Let me get into character. I've got a channel, the Podcasting's Rich segment, the PRS, if you will. Right. <laughs> Your own version of Slim Shady. Exactly. It, although without as much of the wife beating and bitching about how, oh, I'm famous now, don't talk to me, when before he was bitching that he wasn't famous and nobody right. would talk. Not, not as much. You still need a little of it just to kind of just to kind of give it some character, but not as much. <laughs> Well, exactly. Well, see, that's that's the trick to it, though, because the uh, Rich for Prez podcasting's Rich Sigfred, a little clueless, obviously modeled greatly after George Bush. Right. Uh, but then there is also the uh, regular other uh, PRS, which is very cocky, boastful, confident, yet still moderately bumbling. Uh, so Think- you got to be kind of you got to be kind of method with it. You got to jump between them. Exactly. Think a little bit of like Bruce Campbell in Army of Darkness, where even though he was <laughs> right. a bumbling fool, but oh, 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 men from the future, foul mouthed braggarts such as yourself. Just me, baby. Just me. <laughs> All right. And in case you hadn't recognized the sultry tones on the other end of this recording, this, of course, is the Roto interview with Matt Wallace. Yes, the Matt Wallace. How this are man- you, Rich? I'm doing good. Let's go through a list of your credentials, sir. You are a uh, a how many par- time Parsec winner? Uh, twice I have won the the Parsec Award for short fiction. I have been nominated uh, four times, actually five. I'm sorry. Wow, five times. Wow, that's almost uh, Patrick McLean levels of uh, notoriety <laughs> there when it comes to the Parsecs. Me personally, I'm hoping to win one in less than. Yes, here it comes, folks. 12 parsecs. <laughs> oh, my sides. My oh. sides. Oh, Rich, you crack you up. Yeah. <laughs> well, somebody has to. All right. Kill it. So, well, let's talk a little bit about your uh, your history because, you know, I, I know that uh, in the past you have been a performer, not in the uh, traditional on stage sense, but more of the uh, squared circle, as the old timers would say. Yes, I started out in a professional capacity as a professional wrestler. Not, it should be noted, a semi-professional wrestler, which I've been tagged with lately on several other podcasts. No. Uh, there is there is no such thing as semi-professional wrestling. You are either an amateur, which is what they do in the Olympics, or you are a professional wrestler, which is what they used to do in the WWE before it became the WWE and became the worst reality show on television. <laughs> I think that's the distinction. I think one thing that would help Vince McMahon is that if he was able to differentiate between the television 
show and the sports aspect because if you notice that they'll have cameras uh, throughout the place obviously so we the audience can see what's going on but sometimes the the workers the performers they see the camera acknowledge the camera realize that the camera is in fact in existence and then the other times is where it's the television show where the camera there actually is a fourth wall that does not exist to us but to them it does so the camera crew is not actually there and so that's why they'll talk about their nefarious plans and i think it that is some of the aspects that really kind of throw the vibe of the show off that and the uh, bad writing that's good i would have started with the bad writing and then branched off into the other into the other problems with it but that's a very good point and that that's that kind of soap opera aspect of like soap opera characters how they monologue to themselves for no reason that's kind of what's become with the fourth wall thing you know and then other times when the camera's just roving you know that used to be a bad thing when it was roving backstage and it would catch guys having coffee with each other who were supposed to be kicking each other's ass out in the out in the rain <laughs> Kayfabe you know? is dead, brother. Yeah, kayfabe is dead. It's it's one of the things I miss most in life. I miss, you know, from the 80s especially. I miss 80s kayfabe. I miss kayfabe and I miss the McDLT. And uh, I wish they would both come back. Wait, the McDLT? Absolutely, brother. The hot stayed hot and the cold stayed cold. You don't remember the McDLT? No, no, wait, wait. Let me Let me put my assumption of what a McDLT could possibly be. Now, if we have a McBLT, that'd be a bacon, lettuce, tomato. That would. The Mc part is obviously uh, attributed to McDonald's. So we've got a D, an L, and a T. L and T, pretty much uh, safe to assume that those would be lettuce and tomato. It is. And many people have been confused by the the D. It it has been referred to as the mysterious D. Is Uh, it donkey? uh, You know, I think at one point it might have been. When it was the Tijuana special, but that didn't last too long. People got, you know, sick and shit. Actually, the D just stands for Donald's. It's McDonald's lettuce and tomato hamburger. That's all it ever was. Wait, so it was just lettuce and tomato and that was it? Or was did it have any No, other it was thing? a hamburger. It was a lettuce and tomato hamburger. That was the whole thing. It was like the lettuce and tomato were in a separate part of the container staying cool while your hamburger was hot, and then you would slap them together. I just did a slap sound effect. I'm sorry. I probably shouldn't do that. But Oh, no, that's all right. Feel free to do Foley as long as you explain it afterwards. Okay. I, uh, I appreciate that. <laughs> well, so, okay. So they had the lettuce and tomato on the one side. I guess that they got rid of that due to the the desire to keep food underneath a heating lamp for about three to four hours to give it that real full, well-done cooked taste. That was probably the legit reason, but the kayfabe reason, bringing it back to what we were talking about before, you mm. see how I do that. Um, you were an artist, sir. They, thank you very much. They changed over from styrofoam packaging to uh, to the packaging that they have now, and the container was a big part of the presentation. It was like this thing. It sort of looked like a styrofoam spaceship. It had, like, <laughs> sections. You know, it was like that thing that chased the Millennium Falcon in Episode 2. So they stopped using the styrofoam and the McDLT disappeared forever. And it was it's a shame. It really is. I think I think the McDLT more than anything really defined the innovation of the eighties. Well, you know, and so they were switching away from the styrofoam? Yeah, because it is not biodegradable. And uh McDonald's does not want to be seen as the evil corporation that they are. So And the obvious irony there is that their foods are not biodegradable, yet their packaging <laughs> is. Exactly. That's exactly. That's a very good point. Because Ronald McDonald is nothing if not green-minded. Um, I always thought he was a serial killer of children, personally. But you know, I mean, that, I guess that could be true too. 
After I saw the movie It, I kept going up to every McDonald's hoping that I could get <laughs> Frankenfurter's autograph, but it just never happened. Oh, um, man. Was there anybody better at playing those kinds of characters than Tim Curry? You know, like the clown oh. in It and the darkness and legend, and he would just always play in Frankfurter. You know, if you if you needed somebody to play a really fucked up makeup character, it was it was Tim Curry. He was the man. Congo. Yeah, absolutely. Congo. Yeah, Congo. Didn't, he didn't even need makeup for that. He wasn't one of the monkeys? <laughs> I thought he was the gorilla. Was the, he, oh, did he did he innovate that? Was he in the was he playing multiple parts before Eddie Murphy? Did he Eddie was Murphy a trailblazer. Absolutely. Wow. He was a trailblazer. And let's face it, the other thing that he innovated was the uh, actor appearing both in male and female clothing. <laughs> Something that Eddie Murphy is. Look, if anybody, Eddie Murphy, uh, and I know you're listening, Eddie, Eddie baby, really. <laughs> Why do you constantly, after being arrested with a transvestite hooker, then you would go on to to perform these roles where you are in drag? I mean, honestly, is it like that whole thing like, well, I can get away with it because I have a transvestite hooker friend? <laughs> I, I, honestly, dude, I think that's just the only safe way he can exercise those demons. Like, <laughs> he, can't, he can't hook up with trannies anymore because, you know, they're watching for that now. But the but that's the genius of Eddie Murphy. It's like instead of you know getting it on with a tranny in a men's room, I'm gonna be in drag in front of a family audience of millions, and they're gonna pay me for it. I mean, that's freaking genius. It's therapy. That's like me making a movie of getting me getting spanked, and it becomes a family comedy and just makes huge bank at the box office. And you know, actually speaking of which, uh, perfect segue, sir. Uh, let's get a little bit into this uh, biscuit slash that it seems to exist on the interwebs. Really. Seriously, that it won't die. That's the thing that will not die. Biscuits, biscuit slash is going to live forever now. Well, it, it's on the internet, so therefore already <laughs> it's it's got yeah. a, a shelf life of at least fourteen million years. Right. But where where did that come from for the the listeners at home who may not be aware of the biscuit slash? I have been on Culture Cast a few times because I'm a big fan of the show, as I know you are too, mm-hmm. uh, Susan Z and Biscuit. And towards the end of my first appearance on the show, I got on it. See, this is going to sound bad out of context, but you have to realize there wasn't appropriate context for this at the time, even is if I there, can't remember what it was. Is there really was, an appropriate context? I was, <laughs> I was talking about Kirk and Spock slash and Kirk and Spock, uh, two girls in one cup. <laughs> Again, there was an ap- appropriate context for it at the time. Two Kirks, right? one cup. Exactly. Exactly. We've got we've got Kirk Cameron. <laughs> oh, and dude, Jatner. that's not right, man. <laughs> Kirk, Kirk is a good Christian, and how dare you slander him like that? Well, I would have slammed his sister back in the eighties. <laughs> and this Cameron back in the day, she was a little hot. You're absolutely right. She was actually third on the things of list uh, the list of things I missed from the eighties. It went kayfabe, McDLT, Kirk Cameron's sister. <laughs> Does she even have a real name? I think I could be wrong about the Candace thing. I think she is I, just known I as. I don't think she Kirk needs Cameron. one to be. Honest. Yeah, to be honest with you, yeah, Kirk Cameron's sister. The KKS is what we used to call. That was the bathroom code that we'd use. But um, anyway, so I was talking about Kirk, two Kirks, one cup, and then Susan <laughs> trying to one up me, trying to up the trying to up the ante, just busted out. Well, what if there was biscuit Matt Wallace slash out of nowhere? And, you know, immediately won the conversation, obviously. You know, that was, that was a knockout blow. I had nothing to say to that. And, you know, it was supposed to be just a throwaway thing. I don't think Susan had any plans for it at the time. But it just, 
you know, it it's turned into practically a movement now. People started writing their own biscuit slash, you know, not just biscuit Matt Wallace slash, but biscuit and, and other people. Biscuit is a slash whore, but um, and people just started recording it and sending it in, and it, it it's become it's become its own subgenre of literature, really, at this point. Well, see, the the funny thing is, I hear that there uh, there is that there may be live performances of Slash at conventions, which I think, much like the Eye of Argon, which is like <laughs> the worst piece of shit uh, sci-fi ever written, that it is kind of read in the back halls, like just outside the rooms, that even the people watching Hentai won't even let them in there to perform it. And hopefully down the road there will be the musical uh, version of that starring oh Tim Curry. See? Goes full circle. Dude, that was, <laughs> dude, I just can't believe you dropped an Eye of Argon reference. That was... You should, there should be a Parsec Award just for that, and you should well, win I, it every year. I think that they should uh, start that. I think that that should be the award especially uh, created for me, and then it could be like a tribute of the podcasting's Rich Sigfret Parsec exactly. that is given I know, to I think, the I think having a memorial award named after you before you died is a little, is a little creepy. I, don't, I think you pay a high karmic price for that. I defy death. I laugh. <laughs> face of death of course by death i mean jack death uh tim thomerson from the classic 80s series transfers brother now that <laughs> is even more impressive than the eye of argon i am such a huge transfers mark you have no idea nice i remembered him from uh like air, he was in air america and of course he was a stand-up comedian a long time ago but i really remember Dude, him was, for the doll man comedian really mm-hmm I did not know that. I did not know Tim Thomerson was a, was a stand-up comedian. One of his classic bits is the movie Stagecoach in 30 Seconds. Get the fuck out of here. That's genius. Is that on YouTube somewhere? Um, I don't know. I know the audio is on the uh, 20th anniversary of the Comedy Store album. Wow. I well, I know what I'm doing as soon as we're done here, man. That's that is classic. I'm sorry, I'm sorry though. I interrupted you, man. Go on. With what you're oh saying. no, it's all right. Actually, we're talking about comedians. I've been uh, hitting up some Emo Phillips lately. Emo Phillips, classic. Also, I remember Emo Phillips from UHF primarily. <laughs> when he gets his finger cut off, <laughs> he slashes his finger off. <laughs> I, you know, one of my one of my favorite emo jokes is <clears throat> he opens up E equals M O squared, his first album, up with. Right. Probably the toughest thing in a man's life is to have to kill a loved one because they're the devil. <laughs> Beyond that, it's been a good day. But that, <laughs> that has got to be one of my all-time favorite stand-up albums. And just uh, the ethereal way he speaks and the way he, the, he just... Very alternative performer. Yeah, totally. Um, very Kaufman-esque, which I greatly enjoy uh, nice. very much. And, you know, nowadays, the guy that's really kind of carrying that that torch would be Zach Galifianakis, who I'm a huge fan of. Oh, Zach Galifianakis rules, man. Yeah, it's all about comedians and comedy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I've got his uh, Comedy Central special on DVD. Oh, yeah, man. That, uh, has he only done the one where he had the, the choir of his ex-girlfriends at the end? Yes. The, the, that's the, not right, uh, yeah. Acapella group consisting of his ex-girlfriends as they sing Eternal Flame. And he, at one point in time, prances around in a tube. See, that's the kind of stuff I like where it's just like it, the same thing with the Sklar Brothers at the end of their uh, Comedy Central special where they're right. doing air guitar to an REO Speedwagon song and air drums and everything. And the crowd is all into it. And you're just like, OK, this had to have looked like shit on paper. 
Right. But totally. these guys are getting up there and they're pulling it off. And I mean, I can't help but just cheer for them when I watch it. Absolutely. It takes balls to do that kind of thing, man. Absolutely. Yeah. But uh, anyway, let's let's get back to Tim Thomerson because I feel like you had more to say there. No, not really. It pertained to whatever we were talking about. I threw that reference out there, and it was just a a, a springboard into more stuff. Okay, well, I, you were going to talk about you remembered him mostly from something, and I cut you off before you said it. Yeah, I don't really remember what the setup was to that reference. Okay, and I'll just let it die. Oh, it was death. It, it, was, it was. We were talking about death, something about death, and I said, and uh, I laugh in the face of death. Right, and then we were talking about transfers, but then you were saying. In addition to his comedy, I most remember him for, and then I went off on my whole thing. Uh, Air America and then Dollman. Oh, snap, Dollman. You actually saw Dollman. You love the human being you. I have it. On, I have one of the episodes on uh, on VHS. That is sweetness. That, that, that goes is, back to those full moon video days. Do you remember full moon video? Oh, yeah. I used to love getting those. As a matter of fact, the one that I have is uh, it's the copy that they would play in the uh, – in the video rental place, right? It, it's one of those ones that's not for resale. <laughs> uh, you know, back when you you could watch the special effects and you were like, "Oh, this is so awesome!" I'll completely ignore the giant black ring around him because he's small right now, and they <laughs> clearly comped it on top of the little toy spaceship back there. Uh, dude, the bad effects were part of the journey, though. You know, you can't you can't take that. If they went in and like you know Lucasized it and everything and made the effects good, those movies would be way worse than they actually were originally. Well, then you'd know that the story was shit, the dialogue, exactly, was, yeah. the acting was horrid. That's what. Why do you think Troma gets away with so much stuff? <laughs> Troma, uh, Troma, which I, incidentally, Poultry Geist coming soon. Poultry guy, I hadn't heard of that. I haven't kept up with trauma at all. Man. I mean, I remember Toxic Avenger back in the heyday, but oh yeah, I used to go to when I first got the internet. Used to go to the trauma dot com website. Look at the Tromets. The Tromets. <laughs> because I happen to have a thing for uh, goth girls and goth sensibility, and so you get these extremely uh, hot chicks basically dousing themselves in fake blood and right carrying knives and skeletons and stuff like that. And I, I got to be honest with you, Rich. I'm not sure how deeply I want to probe that. <laughs> well, I mean, no, no offense to you personally. Hey, hey, whose whose show is this? All right, you're on my show. I use this show for therapy. Okay, <laughs> this is my pod couch, if you will. And, Your pod couch. And so, but no, actually, uh, <laughs> let's get back on topic. How have the Parsec Awards that you have earned changed you? Um, you know, I mean, it uh, it was obviously the most the single most pivotal event in my life. And uh, nothing has been the same since. Um, I get a $50 gas card every year for having won multiple parsecs. That's nice. Uh, and you also get 50% off uh, donuts at Krispy Kreme when you win multiple parsecs. Many people don't know that. It's true. It's an exclusive membership thing. So, yeah, it's been nice. Well, and I uh, like getting a scoop here, finding out the uh, behind-the-scenes stuff here. Exactly, dude. You're the one. You're supposed to know yeah, this stuff. I know that already. I was doing the interviews for the Parsec Awards, of course, the behind the Parsec series. But that just because I was doing the interviews didn't mean that they kind of let me in on those things. I was only privy to so much information, and so far, you've been the only person to admit that whole uh, there are actual uh, prizes that ca- that are translatable in, as as cash or or something like that. I just thought that you guys got those wonderful little. Bottle openers, the the awards themselves, you know? <laughs> paperweights. I use mine to crush walnuts personally. Nice. They're good for the liver. They really are. You should try them. The parsecs. 
No, the walnuts. Oh, oh, okay. I I haven't tried eating the parsecs. I mean, I always assumed that they had a chocolate filling, but I, you know, once you peel the foil off, you can never put it back into the right shape. <laughs> and there'd be just chunks of it missing, just like little knob marks on the side. And I, you know, I couldn't leave it alone. I'd eat. I'd be like Homer with the with the devil's donut. You know, I'd I'd have to eat the last piece. <laughs> You, it would just be gnawing at you the entire time. Like, look, I worked damn hard for that piece of chocolate. I should be able to enjoy the whole thing, not have to leave I something. Des- I deserve it, god damn it. Well, now, the question is, because of the different coloring and stuff, would the I wonder if the base would be a different kind of chocolate. Um, I don't know. It could be kind of cherry, I would think, if it was, or raspberry even. Ooh, a raspberry chocolate. And now I'm just hungry. I don't know how I'm going to do the rest of this interview. I want chocolate. Well, then we should just get on with it now. Let's talk a little bit about uh, you. You had a kind of a promotional uh, machine going for the uh, Hath Darkness that came out at Christmas, correct? The Failed Cities, Hath of Darkness. Yeah, that was a uh, that was a special, like ornate PDF that uh, me and Rick Stringer put out. It was the first original Failed Cities monologue story I'd written in about a year. Now, who did the art in that? Because the art is really fantastic. Rick actually did the art himself. He's a, uh, you know, the dude just has these skills like locked away. He, but he started out doing, that's what he started out doing in life. He, you know, he studied art and he was an artist and then he got into technology. But yeah, he sketched all of that stuff from hand. It was, those were original Rick Stringer creations. Now, how did you two uh, hook up to create this dominating force in the potosphere? That is variant frequencies, you mean? Um, Absolutely. Uh, I know I know Rick through his wife Anne, who was also or she was also an aspiring author, and uh, you know we were both trying to get published around the same time, and we were having a lot of trouble, you know, breaking in as as you do, even when you are you know brilliant as we undeniably are. Hmm. But um, Rick was actually the one who had the idea. He had been, you know, he's always been a big Mac guy, and he's a, you know he's the guy's a vice president of technology at his company, so he's up on all this stuff. But he had been into podcasts, and I guess he had heard. You know, Sigler or T or one of the original guys who started doing podcast fiction, he had the idea, why don't we start podcasting some of your stories just to get exposure? And uh, we were like, all right, yeah, why not? We'll give it a shot. And, and uh, you know, the whole thing just ballooned into this vast empire that we now control. Now, the question is, why did he choose you and not his own wife? Um, and I, uh, Anna just really started getting serious. <laughs> he did choose his wife. She was in there too, Dick. But... <laughs> Anne had just started getting serious about writing, and she didn't have as much work accumulated as. And uh, I had all these short, unpublished short stories in reserve. So the whole reason I got invited on was pretty much just they needed filler. Like I was, I was filler. That was pretty much what it was in the beginning. I had these stories in a trunk that you know could fill space in between the ones that Anne was writing. So that was how I got in there. Well, and much like uh, Hillary Clinton, you rose above. <laughs> yes, I am exactly like Hillary Clinton, especially I think, especially around the thigh area. I think that really, I think that's enough. We don't really need to uh, <laughs> describe all of the similarities. I mean, there are just too many to go into. It's a very long list. It's much longer than the list of things I missed from the '80s, which is, you know, that's a, that's a gargantuan list in and of itself. So yeah, let's let's move on. I think honestly, your power to intimidate and frighten small children is probably one of the greatest ones, though. Do you really think so? Uh, do you honestly think I'm? Do you think I'm as intimidating as Hillary Clinton? Because that that would be the nicest thing anyone has ever said to me. I think. Well, she has hooves, so I think maybe that she's got that going for. Her. 
She does, and I am extremely ginger-footed for a man of my size, too. I'm very spry. People don't – a lot of people don't realize that about me until they see me in real life. I practically float. I have been described that way. That is true. You have kind of an ethereal quality to your walking. A lot of people – I do. I do. I'm, I'm like a disillusioned black man in a Spike Lee movie. I just kind of float around. I don't actually walk. Well, the thing is is that you have people that actually throw – copies of podcasting for dummies where you walk so a lot of people don't actually see your feet touching the ground kind of gives you that floaty feel i do i walk on copies of podcasting for dummies and i it's a beautiful thing to watch you strut sir now uh the let's talk a little bit since you mentioned podcasts i've heard of those what uh podcasts are on your uh aggregator what are you Uh up to I am I am horribly horribly behind on podcasts. I've just been I've been really busy these days. I you know I keep up with CultureCast regularly. That's one of those ones I've been listening to for a long time. Um, the last the last patio book I was really listening to regularly was uh, I think Playing for Keeps by Mer Lafferty, mm. uh, which was excellent. You know all Mer oh, stuff. Is great. Absolutely. And you know I begrudgingly check out whatever Sigler's got up on his Bloodcast feed just just to kind of keep apprised of you know his evil and how it's spreading throughout the world. You know, and of course, you know, Requiem for the Outcast is right at the top of the list. Well, we appreciate that, obviously. But are you actually, uh, you know, do you feel that you are are right in in challenging Scott Sigler for for his throne of the podcasting podio book guy? Not only do I feel I'm right, I feel I'm righteous in my in my quest to unseat him and stand on his bones. Are you, in fact, on a mission from God? I don't know about God. I'm on a mission from some higher power. I don't want to put too much of a Judeo-Christian label on it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, I am driven by very powerful forces. Are you the big baby that was uh, prophesied in the big book of awesome from Zay Frank? You know, I hadn't considered it, but now that you say it, it makes so much sense. You don't exactly ask for people to give the, give you their power moves around you, so that makes sense that you would want to stay away from that. It does. That's really more of a survival trait, though. That's inborn. See, I, I you know I don't really much believe in in a lot of those things. I'm more of a Joe Piscopalian. Joe Piscopalian. You worship Joe Pesci? No, Joe Piscopo actually. Hence oh. the- Episcopalian aspect of that. Uh, I'm sorry. Well, Joe, Joe Pesci was the first Joe that came to mind. I'm sorry. I wasn't, I wasn't following the through line. <laughs> Joe Piscopo, really? Yeah. Was it the bodybuilding phase that really elevated him to that status? No, uh, Johnny Dangerously. Johnny, dude, you, you are just the man with the references tonight, Rich. Seriously. Johnny fucking <laughs> Dangerously. I haven't thought about that movie in years. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't hang me on a hook, Rich. My mother hung me on a hook once. Once. <laughs> dude, that and movie I, is so fucking classic. It, I love dude, it. that movie is awesome. And I know 90% of the people listening to this have no clue what we're talking about because that is so obscure. But You'd if you have not, really, sir, I hope so because everybody should see Johnny Dangerously once. 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 We have an astute audience, which is and why I, I had to bring you on. <laughs> really? Am I, do I appeal to an astute audience? I, sir, your astuteness rivals that of the Dalai Lama, I would say. Wow. Really the Lama himself? The Lama himself. Well, you know, Gunga Galunga, man. Thank you very much. <laughs> A goonie goo to you. <laughs> <laughs> now, in, in, in the vein 
of the Dalai Lama. I, I want to ask you a, a very serious question. Uh, I'm ready for a very serious question. Do you feel that battle drafts would be valuable tool in the war on terror? Do I feel that battle drafts would be a war? Uh, did you say a valuable tool in the war on terror? A valuable tool in the war on terror. They would be a tool. I'm not sure about that particular adjective, but they would be a tool. They would be a tool. Are you saying that they'd be giant dicks that would just like make fun of people? <laughs> that's I don't know. That's kind of animalistist. Animalistist. <laughs> animalist. 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 Yeah, that'd be the word. That's worse. Or animalist. I, I, you mean that. like I'm racist against animals? Is that what you're yes. saying? Oh, yes. Okay. So yeah, I'm an animalist. Be speciesist. Speciesist. Species. You are spacious. You are. A, I am. I am a spacious individual, and I require space wherever I go. You I, are tall and intimidating, and that's one thing that I love about you. I like people you, that actually right. intimidate me because I am tall and intimidating. You are, and I. Yeah, I want, when I spotted you from afar at DragonCon the first time, I said to myself, "That man is both tall and intimidating." And it I didn't even know who you were. Was the was the crazy thing about it? It doesn't help. I was standing next to Billy West, who is literally like. <laughs> I've heard that about Billy West. You can fit him in your pocket like Prince. <laughs> Although without the uh, giant horse head like Prince has. <laughs> Did you know that he actually does not believe in time? <laughs> wait, wait. He doesn't, believe, he doesn't believe in time? He does not believe in time, which is why he shows up late for everything. Oh, that dude, that so much makes sense about his career now. I I did not know that. He measures things in joy. <laughs> I thought he measured things in purple. I thought his whole his whole system of science was based on color. Is that not true? It seems like it would be. I think that purple for him would probably be the color of of awesomeness. Right. And and of peace. Because he does use purple in a lot. But then again, also assless pants seem to be a, another measurement of style for him. So I don't well, I know the, how I thought the assless pants were a religious choice. I don't want to know. What, is he Catholic? Oh, he's oh. Small, like a small child. Dude. Catholic priest. Nicely done, sir. Not really. That was a horrible joke. I know, but I was, you know, it's your show, so I was trying to, I was trying to build it up. <laughs> if you would just, if you would just let me give you props, that would have convinced people that it was funny. People would have been like, "Oh, well, I guess it was funny." But I you like to let, up, my, I like to let my humor stand on its own. Thank you. You have integrity. I admire that because so few do these days. I know I don't have any. Now it does require pity as a crutch. I will admit that. <laughs> it has a cast of pity around <laughs> it. And so it hobbles around on on uh, fake compliments as crutches, actually. Cast of pity signed in tears. <laughs> Crushed hope is its traction. We're like <laughs> we're writing high. We're doing free form haiku now. Do you realize that? <laughs> I'm noticing that really? about about bad jokes. Oh, that's lovely. All right, let's um, let's talk about obviously one of the most important things that I wanted to bring you on about. Um, we've we've had this uh, interview scheduled for a while. Um, is the next fix? Now yes, that absolutely. that is the your publishing debut. Is it? That is my not my publishing debut. It is my uh, my hardcover print debut. It's the first book that um, I will have published. It is a short story collection. My first short story collection being put out by Apex Publications. Mm -hmm. it, it is available for pre order right now in both paperback. 
Um, and limited edition hardcover, which if you go to apexbookcompany.com and pre-order that right now, it will arrive to you uh, signed by the author himself, which is me. And my signature is mighty, much like myself. <laughs> will it, in fact, uh, cure babies with polio? Um, it will, but there already is a cure for polio. So I, I would use it on cancer patients myself because it, it's equally, it, it works equally well there. My book cures cancer, Rich. Which forms of cancer? Um, all forms uh, except ball cancer for some reason. Uh, we haven't really figured it out yet. I mean, we've been in the lab testing it. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's strange. Is it that the book itself has so much balls? It very well might be. You know, people are going to think that I set you up for that intentionally. That was all off the cuff right there. <laughs> it, it honestly was. You know my PayPal account, right? Um, let's see here. So, <laughs> and, when <is> it, <laughs> and when is it coming out for pre-order? Or it's available uh, for pre-order now, It's correct? available for pre-order right now, and you should absolutely go and reserve your copy, especially the limited edition signed hardcovers. If you want one of those, you need to go right now to apexbookcompany.com. The book itself drops um, April 30th. It will then it uh, it will be available on Amazon.com as well. You can get it there if you want to. And uh, I you know I really I can't recommend it highly enough. I mean it's got it's 13 of my absolutely best uh, short stories, both of the ones that won Parsec Awards and uh, a full length novella in there. And uh, you know if you if you ever listen to Variant Frequencies and you dug my work or you just you want to support you know a hardworking podcast author, please do go and, and reserve a copy. And. Speaking of which, in in your honest opinion, your honest learned opinion, would you say that turtles are carnivorous? Um, I think turtles are fucking vicious, bloodthirsty killers, and uh, they've just got everybody fooled. Now, is this based on your experience reading the Eastman Laird uh, Ninja Turtles comic book series or the cartoon or some previous personal experience? Um, well, I, I think it was hinted at in my experiences with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I mean, that was kind of like uh, in the movie The Lost Boys when the Frog Brothers give Corey Haim the comic book on vampires. Like, you don't take it that seriously at first until one tries to fucking kill you, you know? That's so it was true. that. It was that. And then there was an incident with a turtle, which I don't really feel the emotional scars have healed enough for me to talk about yet. But uh, Too soon? It is a little bit too soon, Rich, if you don't mind. I mean, I, I'm sorry. I. I didn't realize. Um, no, it's not your fault, man. It's fine. I, I mean, it's, it's an important issue that I want people to be aware of, but I'm just not ready to be the, the figurehead for it. You know, I'm not ready to be the figurehead for the anti-turtle killer movement. Well, you, of course, know as a huge fan of, of Requiem of the Outcast that so we here at Roto are behind a movement to warn the, the unsuspecting public of the dangers of the platypi. Of course, they don't look – they look quite cute and cuddly and a little confused visually. But <laughs> we do know that um, they are in fact poisonous. So you know, we try to take every moment that we can. I, I shouldn't – I wasn't laughing at that. I was thinking about something else. But the platypi thing, that's absolutely – that is a serious issue to me. And you know who I blame for subduing the public and uh, you know, keeping them unaware of the platypi and uh, their dangers is Kevin Smith. It's, it's all his fault. Kevin Smith. Now, yes, see, I, I had not put that those two together. Uh, please. Dude, he, Kevin Smith is a platypi conspirator. He really is. If you remember at the beginning of Dogma, he did this whole bit with the title cards where he was talking about platypi, and he was talking about how they were cute and cuddly, and it proved that God had a sense of humor 
and they were pro-platypi. And, you know, that guy has legions of fans. That's like almost a whole generation. That's like the people who will eventually be running the country. And they are going to be running the country with... <laughs> That's Matt- a scary thought. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. <clears throat> Back in character. Dude, okay, go ahead. Nah, you, you totally fucking deflated my bit, man. I was going somewhere. I was building up to this whole thing. I know. No, no, I'm back, yeah, on. No, I'm back on. You killed yeah. it because that was too, you know, that was too good. I can't now. I can't. Matt. Plat- platypus are bad. That that was it. That was all one. Yeah. Matt. Yeah. It's dead. It's dead, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I, you remember when we were, uh, I think it was you, uh, uh, Earl, myself, and Ely, right? That we're, we went out for pizza that one time at Balticon? That, actually, that was oh. you and me and Earl and um, uh, Davey. Davey? But I'm, I'm thinking Ely was there, too. Ely was not there. I, I remember every single time I hung out with Ely, and that, that definitely wasn't one of them. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I just remember all of us making just kind of – it started off friendly, cracking jokes and whatnot, right. and then it turned dark. It's, and then it, 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 it was no longer a competition to make each other laugh. It was literally a competition to make each other cry, and I don't understand how that happened. Do you, what, what are your thoughts? Um, I was half in the bag already. I had started drinking really early that day because of an unrelated event, and so by the time we got to lunch – uh, I, you know, I was going to that dark place, that place where the place where you cry before you become really sentimental and happy. Like I was mm-hmm. hovering around that. Um, I don't know what the rest of you guys' excuses were, but that that was mine. I'm gonna I'm gonna claim I'm gonna claim booze fever on that one. Well, was this uh, due to the the turtle incident? No, the turtle Which... incident was it was something from my youth. And uh, and please stop trying to get me to open up about it, Rich. I'm just I'm not going to talk about it on your show. <laughs> We have a long-standing tradition of making people cry, much like when when we interview people, much like Willard Scott. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm not sure saying that you're like Willard Scott is too much of a compliment. It depends on how you take it and what context. Well, he was Ronald McDonald. <laughs> and it all comes full circle. <laughs> all right. High five. Nicely, uh, nicely done, <laughs> The symmetry, the beautiful symmetry is really what I love about Roto. Well, that is why I'm podcasting Rich Sigfred. <laughs> it is. <laughs> that so is what, why, that's why you need to be our president. In exactly. Exactly. I need to do more with that website, update it, and put out my proclamations and whatnot. Really um, are you going to be doing any cons this year, sir? Um, I will be at Balticon. Uh, I have much going on for Balticon. And uh, I plan on rolling into DragonCon again this year uh, just to collect my, my third Parsec award. <laughs> Foregone conclusion award is what we like to call it. And pretty much. You know, I mean, at this point, I, uh, you know, I could scribble a haiku on a napkin and it would get nominated for a Parsec at this point. I mean, I'm like Tom Hanks, basically. Like, it doesn't <laughs> matter what. You know, as long, as long as he puts out a movie and he's sort of serious in it, you know, he's up for an Oscar automatically. Uh, I think he kind of jumped the shark with Da Vinci Code, though. Uh, I think I think the Da Vinci Code jumped the shark uh, on a lot of for a lot of stuff, yeah. But uh, the movie, uh, which I have not seen, and I also still haven't read the fucking book, and I don't plan to. But yeah, I, I I just knew that was a bad idea. I'm gonna wait for another movie starring Nicolas Cage, basically doing the same stuff. <laughs> National Treasure Three, The Da Vinci Code. Exactly. I think that uh, they could have. I, I think you know he could have kind of a. Uh, if he goes up against a Travolta movie per se, 
uh, we could have kind of a, uh, a, a you know i'm not even gonna continue the joke it's that bad <laughs> dude no, you know you what i was gonna say you were know what i was gonna say um i am assuming i can't even commit to it i can't commit to it it's just that bad i thought there was gonna be some kind of clever chin dimple reference coming up at me no uh, i was, i was going to reference uh, a, a movie uh, that oh well there it only it could only be one movie peggy sue got married Absolutely. That's exactly what I was thinking. I was thinking Peggy <laughs> Sue got married. I actually, what, you know what's sad is I actually do remember that movie for, for one reason. There's one moment in that movie that's burned forever into my mind, and I don't know if you can guess which one it is. But it's the, it's the scene where uh, Nicolas Cage and Kathleen Turner, for a reason I can't even remember, are talking about his penis. Hmm. And Nicolas Cage says, you mean my wang? And that. <laughs> I wake up some nights in cold sweats, thinking, having nightmares about that. It's it's really scarred me for life. You know, Wang. I think that's a very highly underrated <laughs> word for uh, for the male genitalia. Uh, my favorite use of the word Wang has always been uh, in the voice of Leon Phelps, the ladies' man. Oh, God. It's, it's something about him talking about his Wang because the way he draws out the A's. Just the, <laughs> Wang is just funny. It's kind of like a boomerang where he just says Wang and it comes right back. Because that's what all the ladies love. <laughs> oh, dude. Oh. You know, my entire goal for this interview was to break you like that. Just one. Unfortunately, <laughs> um, there were a few times because I'm telling you, after, because of course, I just did recently did my appearance on the uh, Culture Cast. And after listening to your. Uh, your guest appearances, I was just like, oh, damn. <laughs> There's no way in hell I'm going to be able to... to Dude, come on, man. But you see, you have the voices to go to, and I have no voices. And by, about the time... Oh, thanks, like I, thanks for outing my crutch, you ass. <laughs> <laughs> like, there is a single fucking person who listens to podcasts who was not aware of that. That when in, that when in doubt, Rich Sickford goes to the voices. Like, that <laughs> was some kind of brother trade I'm sorry, <laughs> No, but dude, seriously, you had some. They had some funny bits. I can't even. I can't even remember what the one surrounding the Kermit voice is now that she did a culture cast. But that whole bit had me just rolling. We were talking something about pigs. Um, oh, we were talking about the. Uh, uh, oh God, I just remembered what we were talking about. It was basically you and Sigler had biscuit in a three way. Oh he was, God, dude! <laughs> you brought it up, and so he, uh, he oh. you know, and then he says something about, oh, you mean pig something some kind of a pig reference which i don't think i've ever heard that like oh you're talking about a pig snouting and i'm like what the fuck kind of backwoods turn of phrase is that for a threesome i think it was and, i think he's just saying pig on a spit or something like that like a oh roasted, you know what maybe maybe that's what it was yeah. wrong somebody somebody said rotisserie and that i remember oh, that, that crack was that I, you I love that joke referring to a, a, a threesome, a male, male, female, or a male, 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 apparently. Um, anything <laughs> with two guys on the ends is basically calling that a, uh, a rotisserie action. Right. Just because the concept of – and which is really funny because when I tell the joke and, and use that reference in person, I always give like the uh, simulated spinning of the person, <laughs> which always adds to the comedic effect. And then but, finger cuffs, another fun term uh, for that. Yeah, Finger cuffs I, I know from another – Kevin Smith movie because it all I think, seems to go yeah, that's yeah. where I got that from. But rotisserie is a real sexual position. And then there's a variation that's called the Ronco, I believe. But 
that involves all kinds of weird attachments and things. I don't even want to. One person's dressed up as a fisherman. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think a pocket fisherman is actually involved in some context. Ooh. And you actually make julienne fries with your penis, <laughs> which seems I, very know, unsanitary. It, it does. I mean, but it's organic. I mean, you know, that's one good thing you can say about it. True. True. <laughs> I don't even know what the fuck that. I thought it sounded good. I thought it The problem is that's a comedic end cap. You, you where do you go from that? <laughs> uh, you change the subject entirely and you move on to the next uh the Exactly. Next, yeah. Let's talk about the office. Why not? Because there are new as we are recording this, we are getting ready for new episodes of the office. Exactly. Which you actually asked me to schedule this interview. <laughs> Around the debut of the episode, the airing of the episode. Well, I didn't think you were going to be bringing that up, but thanks, Rich. Uh, <laughs> hey, no, I, dude. When, when I have when I have a comedic genius slash parsec winner, multiple parsec winner in the same year, in the same I work year. around their schedule. Oh, I appreciate that, man. But yeah, I am a big fan of of The Office, and uh, you know, with the writer strike, all that, and every other fucking show is off for a long time, and it returns tonight. So it's it's I'm. I'm almost ashamed to say yes. I get excited by a TV show coming back on the air. I'm supposed to be way too hip for that, but I'm just not. That's the truth. I'm just not that hip. In this day and age, it's so difficult to get that excited over uh, any TV show. I mean, you've got Doctor Who, Battlestar, The Office. That's pretty much it. There are some other good shows out there like uh, 30 Rock, uh, The Big Bang Theory, and Pushing Daisies. But it doesn't seem to breed that intense craving that intense you know following that has to basically reschedule their lives i i know it may seem a little try but i honestly think reality tv killed the whole fucking thing like it'll take a century before the medium recovers from this whole absurd obsession that that we created around that and yet and, you you, know, you understand the irony in that because the very show that you are <laughs> rearranging your life for is a a takeoff of a reality show it is, but it's not a reality show. That's the point. It's you know, it's a, it's got writers and it's you know, it's comedy. Although but, half of, about half of it is uh, improv, from what I understand. Is it really improv? I never believe. I know the original. It always seems like improv, but you know, the truth is that they script all that stuff out really carefully. That's that's what I always heard. <laughs> From uh, listening to some of the commentaries on the previous seasons, they talk about, you know, hey, is that an improv line? Is that an improv line? Is that an improv line? And a lot of what you would think is improv is scripted out, and the stuff that you don't think is improv is. Yeah, because it's, 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 you know, it's a style of writing that they work very hard. I'm sure the writers get really pissed off when, when, when like, they hear that. Like, they think everything's improv. Because that's, that's tough to do, man, to write it and make it naturalistic like that. I mean, it's, you know, it's tough for the actors to deliver it and make it seem naturalistic too, but it's, it's there in the writing to begin with. And actually speaking of which, of course, one of your stories has been adapted by the uh, former co-host uh, Earl Newton for Stranger Things. Uh, what, what is that story? And, um, and actually, what, what's, what's your, how, do you, how would you feel when it, it comes out and uh, maybe some things have been changed around a little bit? Um, I, uh, it kind of put me on the spot here, dude. Um, I feel great. I feel great about the whole thing. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of, I've always been a big fan of Earl's work and I think he's a real, you know, he's a talented dude. So that's why I wanted to be involved in Stranger Things, you know, to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that kind of, pro- I mean, I, I screen, I'm a screenwriter. I, that's what I do for a fucking living. So I'm used to, I'm really? used to, that's my whole thing. I didn't know that. 
You did not know. Most people don't. You know, they just they just know me as the guy as the author of literary fiction that is not as popular as Scott Sigler. But yeah, that's what I that's what I do on the real. And you, so you haven't actually been able to live off of the parsec proceeds yet. I uh, no, I mean, you know, f- you know, free gas and donuts is cool, but it doesn't get you all the way by. Um, yeah. I mean, you can try to you can bank a little bit on the prestige, like you know, there are women who will take care of you just so they can be with a parsec award winning author. Uh, nice. I was go- I was going to come up with like a cool, funny name for what those women are called, but I got nothing. Um, Parseki. I that was my that was my first thought, but that's lame, and I couldn't I couldn't come up with anything fast enough to make it sound like it like I didn't just think of it right then. Hmm. It's very sad, but yeah, no. But anyway, my point is, <laughs> being a screenwriter, I I'm used I'm used to that process, and I know that things do get changed, and that's not that's not a terribly big deal. You know, it's more about the, the the tone and the spirit of the script being intact that that you care. Well, so is this the first of your uh, screenplays that that has been actually you know uh, brought to celluloid in any way? It is. This will actually be the first one I've I've written that is you know seen uh, seen the light of the screen. And uh, from what from you know I've seen rough cuts and stuff, and uh, it's it looks fabulous, and I'm actually very proud that this is what I'm going to look back on and say, yeah, that was the first script I wrote that, that was produced fully. Well, cool. Well, can you give us a little bit about what the, uh, the, the, the story's about? Um, I don't know how much I should say, like particularly to you. I mean, no offense. Dude. I don't even know if you want to put this in the episode when it goes, but like, you know, he's going to get pissed off if I talk to you about this. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, the, All right, yeah, understandable. I think I've probably caused enough problems with that. I mean, I wasn't looking for an exclusive. I'm you know, just trying to. I know. Well, the, let you know, know how I, cool it's going to be, man. I mean, that was the that was the whole fucking point with me tossing out that footage too. I know it was, and I don't want to get. I really have been trying not to get into the middle of the whole thing. I already got. I mean, I'm sure I already have heat with with Earl for even just coming on the show the way he feels at the moment. But you know, I mean, you're 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 both you're both my friends. I think you. I think the world to both of you guys. You know, I really do, and. uh you know, I always try to. I made a commitment to be on the show, and I always try to honor my commitments. And I'm happy to be here, you know. But I don't want to, you know, get in the middle of anything. And if if he feels like I'm, you know, you're dragging more exclusives out of me that he didn't want out there, it's just gonna, you know, I just don't want to make him any more mad because he's still right. in the editing room right now. So you know, he could. Yeah. Not that I'm implying that you know Earl's a total professional. He would never take it out on the on the on the episode itself. But no, <laughs> I mean, I I know he's just. He's just upset because you know the apparently the footage I shot was of the climactic scene, <laughs> the, uh, the the final scene. But the, I mean, there, there's nothing that's that's there's nothing that's like Dude, revealed I, in or anything. But I personally, but, I personally was not, you know, I didn't get all up in arms about it, and I wrote the thing. Like I knew exactly what you were shooting when I saw yeah. the footage. Like, I, mean, <clears throat> I I played it on my blog, like I was offended, but that was really just kind of in a joking, you know, way, which I thought is what we were all doing at the time. You know, I thought we were all having a laugh about it, and you yeah. Know, well, I mean, I yeah, I didn't get the the vibe that you were like seriously pissed off about me because I mean, we no, and I I first yeah, that's I want to I want to say that right now. Like, I personally am not. I thought you were just trying to help promote the episode, and I thought the footage you shot was cool, and it kind of you know it was like a taster, and it got people intrigued mm-hmm. and stuff. But you know. I think I think in all honesty, and this is not knocking Earl, but I just think Earl has a lot more of that kind of artist baggage than I do. You know, where he's very guarded and very like serious about everything. And well, I, 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 I got it. I got a pretty nasty email from uh, his DP that basically said that I had 
potentially endangered um, the the show from one of its sponsors. So, hey. yeah, well, when they found, it, I mean, once they once they viewed the the footage, you know, they realized that it wasn't that bad. But yeah, I think that Earl was just more hurt that I potentially because he is putting so much into into it. You know, obviously this is something that he wants to do full time and stuff. So, really, but, yeah. but, I mean, he's in. <clears throat> On the real man, he has gone all out for this episode. Like it's sick the amount of production that is going into this thing. Oh, I know, I know. Uh, it's, it's. I found out. I actually found out today that he's got a dude who scores Super Bowl commercials to do the score for the episode. Like, no shit. Really, he's like going after like the best possible people he can for every single role. And the episode itself, all this bullshit aside, the episode itself is going to be amazing. Like I can't even wait to see it. Well, let's. Yeah, that's. Uh... Uh, episode four, you can find it at StrangerThings.tv. I know it's um, building up to a big Balticon thing, but let's change the subject because right now it feels like I'm going to my ex girlfriend's best friend to find out how the is <laughs> doing. So, I appreciate um, that. <clears throat> yeah, that's uh, here. Um, I yeah, I pretty much went over everything that I had in 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 my notes here. Great, um, let's let's end on that. That's perfect. Yeah, that's uh, let's, we'll let's that, <laughs> something else out to talk about. Uh, what? Um, well, we already talked about the podcast and stuff. Um, now okay, let's talk a little bit about the, the, the screenwriting that you, you said, um, you, you said that you, this is the first of the screenwriting things that you've done that has seen the light of day. Uh, what happens to the, the other ones that, that have not, are they just kind of in limbo right now waiting for a buyer or have they been purchased? I mean, if, if this is your full time full-time gig so like uh you know how do you know when if you've been successful if it's your job well you know i mean you get you get paid to write a script and then what happens to it after that is pretty much out of your hands and you know some are in limbo like i've worked i've worked for independent producers like on this most of this stuff has been in the australian market and i've worked for independent producers and then i'm starting to work for smaller production companies that actually make real movies and so some are in limbo, some are looking for financing, some are, are still in these stages. Some I'm still writing. Like I'm on I've got I've got a couple of jobs going right now that I'm still in the middle of. And it's just it's you know, it's a long process, man. It can be you know, it can be years from a time a script is written to the time it actually gets produced in a movie, if at all. You know, I mean, that's just the reality of the of the business. Now so uh a <clears throat> somebody just approaches you uh has seen your writing before? And yeah, I mean, so I well, I got I got into it through podcasting. Like, you know, everything, pretty much everything good that's happened to me as a writer has happened because of podcasting. Um, but yeah, from one of my stories on Varying Frequencies, a, an independent producer in Australia, it got picked up by this internet radio station, uh, FBI point ninety five, that's based out of Sydney, and this <laughs> producer heard it on there, which I think proves the worth of the Creative Commons license right there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, um, but, absolutely. But he heard it and he wanted to option it for film. He thought it would make a good movie. And I, you know, I, I have I had had a very long-standing interest in screenwriting, you know, for a long time, and, and studied on it. And I actually entered the second uh, Project Greenlight contest back in the day. Oh, really, even, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I got. <laughs> I can't even tell you how happy I made and win that shit, but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> so anyway, when he wanted to, when he wanted to option it, I um I offered to write the screenplay myself, um you know for free actually just because I wanted to get into it, and so I started with that, and then I wrote you know another one, and these screenplays started to get around to other people, and they started reading on people in the Australian market, and I started to get a few offers from other people to to do some other work, and it just kind of snowballed from there, and it's it's been really good. Um, 
you know, I, I'm still, you know, I, I'm still an author of, of literary fiction. That was the first thing. I, that was my first love, and I'm going to keep doing that. But the screenwriting thing could be something, you know, pretty big. Well, that's awesome, man. Now, uh, quick question about your wrestling days. What was uh, what was your gimmick? What did you wrestle as? Did you did you have a mask and <laughs> did I have a mask? gimmick or? <laughs> Were, were you uh, a lucha libre? <laughs> no, I was, I was not. I was not a luchador. I wish. I think I would have been much more successful if I'd been born in Mexico and become a Mexican wrestler. Now, nah, man, in the United States. If you're if you're a white guy wrestling under a mask, it, it's very little chance you're going to succeed. That's actually considered, you know, pretty bad. No, I um I started out my my career. What there was of it as the one man riot squad, which was a straight rip off of the big boss man's gimmick. Um, <laughs> you know, flak jacket. I had the gloves. I had the whole thing. Um, and after I realized how shitty that was, I just shortened it to the one man riot. And, uh, I started wearing like ripped jean shorts and these different t-shirts. I had like a John Wayne Gacy t-shirt that I'd wear a lot, you know, the picture of him as a clown. And then that quote beneath it, you know, that a clown can get away with murder, which was his famous line. <laughs> and that was kind of like the one man gang. If anybody remembers the one man gang. From oh back yeah. In the, yeah. Um, and then after that, I started uh, wrestling as a tag team with this other with a friend of mine, um, Tony, who was was called Legion, and he was doing kind of an evangelist, you know, holy roller kind of gimmick. And the whole angle was that he converted me, you know, from my wicked ways, and I became Deacon Riot, and I was Deacon Riot for for the rest of my career. Um, I've been away from the business for a year or two now, you know, focusing on the writing. But yeah, that was that was the last thing I was doing. Did you hold any titles? I did. I held. Um, I started out on the East Coast in the tri-state area, you know, New York and New Jersey, and, and I worked some matches out in Philadelphia. Um, and then I moved to Texas, and I started, I started to get, I started to catch on there for a while. I actually held uh, the heavyweight title in a promotion called Texas Extreme Wrestling down in Corpus Christi. And for exactly one week, I was the uh, XCW Ironman champion up in uh, Denton, Texas. XCW, I don't think I've heard of them. Did you work for? Um... Uh, not ECW, um, CZW at all when you were um, up north? No, I did not work for CZW. I knew a lot of guys who did. That was that was the scene I was a part of. It was like JAPW and CZW and and uh, JCW and all these other stuff. I no, I never, I never actually did a CZW show. Not a fan of being eaten up by a weed eater. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I you know I've done my share of hardcore matches, but you know there there are limits. I was I was much more of a straight wrestler. Hmm. Yeah, we had the uh, very first for Halo Wrestling. We had the very first uh, deathmatch tournament in North Carolina, and I was a camera guy at the time. Right, you told me about that. Yeah, yeah, that crazy dude. Got inside the ring. You know, they had had the entire ring just basically a white picket fence of light tubes. Right, and, and after the match was over, three quarters of them were still standing. So you know, I was going to get some good footage of the the winner of them embracing and hugging, and oh, it was great because the. Uh, the final round of the tournament was a three-way and the uh they were just like you know what we're going to use the rest of these tubes and so i was stuck in the middle of the ring (laughs) were those like those actual fluorescent tubes too yeah yeah they were they were fluorescent tubes yeah Um, man see that was one thing that always scared the shit out of me was really yeah i I don't mind the glass but like the fuck it's fluorescent man the fucking chemicals in that shit will give you cancer what are you you crazy so you didn't you never got hit with the light tube with the fluorescent light tube? Um I did once and it was it was completely under protest. It was across my back. If it got anywhere near my face, I probably would have freaked the fuck out and you know started weeping openly in front of everybody. Well then you sir and I have something in common. I still have the scars on my back from taking one. 
Did you, did you take one, really? Yes. Damn, dude. That's right, bitches. We're hardcore. <laughs> We're hardcore. We're hardcore. <laughs> I'd really like to thank you for coming on, Matt. Uh, you know, you and I, we've known each other for a couple years now. Couple and years. We don't we don't really get to hang out or talk too often. Um, I think we really should correct that because, goddamn, sir, you are a funny, talented man, and I I am to a grand degree humbled to be in your presence and s- certainly to uh, riff with you and 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 trade comedic jabs. It's well, uh, uh, Rich. I feel exactly the same way, almost verbatim. I think I would have worded it the same too. I feel. <laughs> I do, seriously, man. You are – I think you're one of the most talented dudes in podcasting. Yeah, I, I mean that seriously. I think you're one oh, of the Oh, I know you're pulling my – No, I would I would consider you the talent with air quotes around it and everything. I mean, you really, really are. Wait, air, air quotes are used when you're making fun oh, of something and saying no, not really. I, I do my air quotes sincerely, though. I'm trying to take it back. <laughs> you're I'm trying take, to take I'm it take back. I'm air quotes back, man. <laughs> Air quotes, most people don't realize this, but air quotes originally, they were a sign of respect between medieval knights. They would make air quotes when they said each other's names to give them importance. <laughs> and they were taken over by, like, evil carny vaudeville people, you know, sometime around the turn of the century and made into this sarcastic thing. I'm trying to bring the nobility back to air quotes. That's really what my whole career is about. It has nothing to do with fiction or art or any of that bullshit. I just want to get famous enough that I can take air quotes back. Once you achieve your level of influence, the air quotes will again have their honor. They will, mark my words, sir. But uh, anyway, I went off on a whole thing there. Um, Rich, I, it was a pleasure to be on Requiem the Outcast. It was, it was a long time coming and way overdue, and I hope, uh, I hope you'll have me back again, so I really do. Absolutely, man. Um, uh, certainly whenever you have something to pimp, and even if not, you know, um, I'm kind of holding auditions for a potential co-host because without somebody else there, the energy of the show is gone. So, uh, so I might hit you up for that too. Cause I think you, you and I definitely have a good dynamics. I'll give you my agent's number. You can talk to him and my people. <laughs> oh shit. If it's going to be like that, I don't know if I can afford you. <laughs> Just fucking with you. <laughs> Matt Wallace, where can people find you online, sir? Um, you can find me at matt-wallace.net. I have also set up a website for The Next Fix, my very first short story collection available for pre-order right now from apexbookcompany.com. The website is thenextfix.net. And please do check out Variant Frequencies, the Variant Frequencies podcast at variantfrequencies.com. Thank you so much for being on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, man. Roto, less structure, less restrictions, more comedy, more absurdity. More often. Requiem off the outcast.com. <laughs> <laughs>